Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. If we hope to survive in this digital age, we have to think critically about the messages we consume. Someone created those messages for a reason. Let's find out why. Sometimes we just have to ask, what the media? I'm Megan Lynch and Edward R. Murrow and Gracie Award winner with Legacy Radio Station KMOX in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm joined by Julie Smith, author, instructor, public speaker, and our guide for how to be a savvy media consumer. This season, we've been taking our listeners behind the curtain to see how media are created. Let's listen to Dave Burgess, author of Teach Like a Pirate and founder of his own publishing company, as he takes us behind the scenes of the book industry. I had been speaking in my classroom for several years, and then one day my department chair came and he said, hey, uh, I just got put on the professional development committee for the district and thought, how cool would it be if you put together a workshop based on some of that cool stuff you do in your room that nobody understands? <laughs> and so uh, I, I said yes, which were, and I put together a workshop, didn't have a workshop, but said yes anyway, which is how a lot of things in life happen, right? Is sometimes you have to leap at that opportunity before you're ready. And so I did that. I started to travel and speak. And the more I started to speak, the message was resonating and it was getting bigger and bigger. And then uh, a publishing company came and sat in on my session one day in Washington, D.C. at the NCSS conference. And after the session, they asked for a meeting and they offered me a book contract. And so here's what I did. I went straight up into my hotel room and I Googled publishing contracts because I thought, she, I thought she was trying to cheat me when I read it. I really thought she was trying to cheat me. And then when I Googled publishing contracts, I came to find out, hey, she was not trying to cheat me. That's what they look like. And to me, the only thing missing was a ski mask and a gun. I just couldn't believe that this is what a publishing contract looked like. And so after doing a ton of research in the industry, we decided that we did not need to sign that traditional publishing contract. We formed our own publishing company and we published Teach Like a Pirate right from a laptop at the kitchen table. And that's where all this started. Tell me about that traditional contract. Like what about it set off, you know, red flags? Very few people in the world have seen a book contract. So you have to explain it for us. First of all, the percentages were just ridiculous. The standard book contract is 12%. And so like, what, what an, you know, a lot of people think that when they see a book that's doing really well, they think that that author might be making a killing. But there's a pretty good chance they're making pennies per copy on their book. If you want to buy your own book, let's say you're a speaker and you want to sell your book at the back of the room. A lot of the contracts are 40% off the retail cost of the book. Okay. So 
Amazon gets our books at 40% off the retail cost. That means that a publisher is making as much money when they sell a box of books to their author as they make if it's sold on Amazon. Like that's just highway robbery. The publisher used to be the gatekeeper is that you had to have a traditional publisher to get your book onto that very small shelf space that was in a traditional bookstore. And so if you were not, if your book was not on that shelf space, then you were never going to sell your book. So, and they were the gatekeeper to that shelf space. But then there was a disruption. Uh, what, what I always say is that whenever you see an industry that's based on outdated models, time for it to be disrupted. And so there was a disruption that took place. And that disruption was, of course, Amazon <laughs> and um, online retailers. And so no longer are books, most books sold in a traditional bookstore. Most of them are sold online in a place like Amazon. And so the... And anyone could be on Amazon. Literally anyone could be on Amazon. You can publish a book very easily. And so they no longer have that gatekeeper role, but their contracts haven't changed. So even though they no longer play that role as the gatekeeper and they no longer play that service of having to get you onto that shelf, their contracts are still the same as they always were. And so they haven't transformed how they look at, at compensation for authors. And so that was, that was one of the key things. Dave, would you have ever thought about writing a book if you hadn't been approached at that conference? You know, I had thought about writing a book many times, but as with many things in life, thinking about something and doing something are two different things. <laughs> and so I think that that was sort of like the catalyst or that was kind of the push that, uh, that made me go down that path for sure. For a traditional publishing experience, someone writes a manuscript, they send it to a bunch of publishing houses and wait for the responses to come. And I think, what was it, uh, J.K. Rowling was rejected 11 times or something crazy like that. So you say that that the, the Apple card has been disrupted, right? So now we have the ability to do that ourselves. The gatekeeper no longer exists. How did that change your experience? You were then your own publisher and the author at the same time, correct? Going publisher, author, marketer, editor, uh, all, all, editor, all those different things. And so, I mean, obviously, um, well, no, you wrote about this disruption actually in Master of the Media, Julie, when you talked about your student uh, who was called Danger, right? And Danger had this, this thing that he had written about his war experiences. And he's like, hey, I want to like publish this thing. And next thing you know, he did. And he was able to do it on his own. And so it's kind of like leveled the playing field. And... Um, it's like democratized publishing. And so like anyone now can, can be a publisher and can get their book, their message out. And anyone is. <laughs> and there's, there's good things and bad things that go along with that, right? But um, so I'll, I'll tell you two other disruptions that kind of occurred that allow us to do what we do. So there's the, the distribution disruption with uh, Amazon. There's also, there was also a technological disruption. And that in order to print a quality book you used to have to do large at an effective price an efficient price you had to do large print runs of books and so you know uh, a self-published author might have to have you know 5,000 copies of their book in their garage or something like that in order to print it at a good cost and now what happened was there was a technological advance in print-on-demand publishing and so right now really a print-on-demand book is indistinguishable from a print or a traditional print run book. You can't tell the difference. Like our, my book is on the shelf at, at, at Barnes and Noble and you would never be able to pick it off the shelf and say, oh, this one's print on demand or anything. It, it's, it's indistinguishable. And so that technological advance made it so the authors could uh, 
print off just as many books as they needed. And, and Amazon gets hooked up to the distributor and all that goes behind the scenes. And a publisher doesn't even have to wor worry about any of that stuff anymore. They don't have to have a, a warehouse of thousands and thousands of books. And so that was a disruption that took place. And then the, the third disruption that took place was in communication and the ability to spread a message into market where again what used to be you had to have a budget for marketing and you had to have ads and you had to be in magazines and you had to be on you know maybe on your radio spots or whatever it might be and now with social media you know you can sit on your laptop your phone as i often do and you can market and you can connect with the entire world and it's it's free it's time creativity, sweat equity, but there's not like an upfront cost to that, right? And so now, so there's a, there was a marketing and communications disruption, uh, uh, technological like publishing, actually the print-on-demand publishing, and then also the distribution. All those three things together allow us to do what we do, allow us to run, you know, a multi-million dollar publishing company from our house. You know, what's so interesting is that years ago when I was in graduate school, I worked for this book wholesaler and we had an enormous warehouse and we would order pallets of books at a time. With the retail industry of publishing, there was something that didn't exist in other retail industries, and that's the ability to return unsold product. So if you go to a clothing store, something's on the clearance rack, it's because it's not selling. But at a bookstore, if they order 100 copies of a book and only sell 50, typically they can return that other 50 to the publisher for credit. And if it's print on demand, they don't have to worry about that, which makes the book ordering so much more efficient now than it would have been like 20 years ago. That's absolutely still a thing. When it, so when they can still return the books and it's the, and, and actually often what many publishers do is that they don't even actually get the return of the books. The books are destroyed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, mass market, the mass markets are destroyed, except the, uh, the covers are ripped off. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, that's absolutely still a thing where the, the returns can come. Now, here's the reporter in me thinking about self-publishing. Who's vetting the information? Who's editing it? You know, <laughs> who's making sure that, that know, it's correct and yes. accurate? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So this is uh, so I think there's something that there used to be a stigma that went along with self-publishing, which I think has completely disappeared, by the way. If you were to ask someone about their favorite books and say, oh, who published that? Almost nobody would be able to give you an answer. You know, who published uh, Atomic, Atomic Habits by James Clear? You know, who published, you know, if you ask who the publisher of the, like take the bestsellers right now and say, oh, who's the one that published that? Almost no one would be able to tell you. And so the idea that there's some stigma along, that goes along with self-publishing, I think has completely disappeared. But there are there is a need to be professional and so that you do have to so uh there are people that slap together something and throw it online and call it a book right and there then there are people that hire they're self-published but they hire professional editors they hire professional cover designers layout artists all that kind of stuff like that and put together a professional book and so there is kind of a distinction between um you know a fly-by-night kind of operation and uh and something, someone who's doing a more professional job. Have you had any issues with either your book or any book after that where there were factual errors in there that someone caught and needed to be fixed? Oh, I, uh, absolutely. I, I wouldn't say necessarily factual errors, but just something that was someone pointed out as being maybe problematic or something. And 
Uh, but I mean, they our, our books go through quite a bit of vetting now. With a, we have a full, you know, a, a production team and an editorial team, and developmental editing, proofreading, lay, you know, all those different things, different layers to try to catch as many things as we possibly can. But um, yeah, sometimes things slip through. But could you yeah. explain the difference between a developmental editor and, say, like an acquisition editor? Yeah. So the developmental editor is not the person that puts the comma in the right place, right? The developmental editor is the person that is more of the big picture. Look at a book that says, Hey, you know, actually I think what you're, I think you're, you're this chapter here should be at the beginning of the book. And how come, maybe you need to flesh out this part. I think people are going to want to know information about this. You mentioned this, but you didn't really explain what it was. There's going to be a lot of people that don't understand this. And maybe you could, uh, if you added a story here, this would make it resonate. And so the, the developmental editor is the person that comes in from a big picture look that's trying to do the best job of creating the most powerful, help you create the most powerful message uh, with, with your book. And then there's a different line, there's a different level of editing, which is more of the copy editor, right? The copy editor is the person that comes in and says, that is absolutely a semicolon, you know, like this, or, you know, that, that person comes in and kind of does the fine tooth, the fine tooth stuff at the end. What do you see as far as readership when it comes to someone who still wants a physical book where they can turn the pages and someone who now wants a, a digital version instead? Okay, so this is kind of an interesting thing because I think that uh, my particular market is maybe different than some. So in the, in the education that we, we publish, primarily education books, so books that are going to educators, uh, teachers, principals, administrators, things like this, we by an enormous margin, sell more physical books than digital books. So people will often try to tell you physical books are out, they're going away, everyone's buying things on the Kindle or our eBooks and things like this. That is absolutely not the case in our industry. Uh, we're at least, probably more, we're at least 10 to 1 physical books over eBooks. And so uh, there are still a lot of people who just love to have that physical book in their hand and turn the pages. And I happen to be one of them. It's really interesting that you bring that up, Dave, because I looked up this morning that print sales in 2021 are actually up 29% up. And yeah. so I think those, because I'm with you, I like the, I'm tactile. I like to hold a book and smell it, right? And, and have it with me, something I can touch. And so maybe there are more of us out there than we realize. Yeah, absolutely. And I like to pull a book off the shelf and go like refer to something in a chapter and do that and just have them all out in front of me and like, Oh, I want to like grab that quote that was in this book and highlight it, them. highlight it, like <laughs> yeah. all those different things. Oh, but wait, I have to just check with you because this is going to maybe cause uh, a real rift in our friendship. Uh -oh. um, do you dog ear pages? I do. I oh, see. Now that's, that's problematic. <laughs> do you do it too, Megan? I do. My daughter does it. My son hates it. And I break the spines too. I love, oh, I love a good gosh. broken spine. I'm going to have to get you like little post post tabs <laughs> or something like that. So you can stop dog ear in those pages. That's like, that's, that's, that's painful. <laughs> you know, books are the oldest mass medium, right? And, and our whole focus of the podcast is the media and how it's changed, but books have been around for thousands of years. What is it about a book and the book experience that makes it different from every other medium out there? Well, again, this is something you talked about in, in Mass of the Media, about the personal connection with a book. It's a, 
It's a solitary thing. It's you and the author. And if you really think about it, the book is the best deal. And uh, I'm not the first person to say that. I can't remember who I heard say this, but it, it just resonated with me. The book is the best deal in the history of the world. You take someone who is taking a lifetime of wisdom, experience, and spending, you know, maybe a year of their life, maybe multiple years of their life, writing, distilling, curating, pulling it together, publishing this, like, I mean, this is like my life's work. This is my manifesto to the world, right? <laughs> and you can get it for 20 bucks <laughs> or 15 bucks. Are you kidding me? You can take, you can get someone's life work, their best stuff that they spent all that they invested their time into and you can get it for 15, 20 bucks. You know, someone will write a blog post in a, in a, um, an afternoon, right? Someone will write a tweet in 30 seconds. Someone's writing a book. They're in, they're, that's an investment of time and energy. And you can get all of that for, you know, a couple cups of coffee. Like that's an incredible, that's the greatest deal in the history of the world. <laughs> So for people who are listening and they're looking at this world of book publishing and they're thinking, I have an idea, where in the world do they start? Well, first thing is they need to start writing. <laughs> and so I, and I, have a, um, I have a thought on this. If you are someone who has a message more like in the nonfiction space, for example, um, I think you should first be looking to put that message in front of other people in ways other than a book. I think like, for example, people come to us and say, I want to be um, like, I want to go around and be a speaker. And um, so I want I'm going to write a book so I can get speaking engagements. And I always tell them, no, no, no. Why don't you go speak and then write a book? Cause when you speak, your message is in front of an authentic audience and you get to see with real eyes staring at you, whether that message resonates, uh, you get to like hone it, you get to craft it, you get to pull it together. People will come up to you after a program and say, ask you questions. You're like, oh, I need to clarify that. Or people are really interested in more information on this part. And you get to hone and craft and create something powerful. And, uh, and then you can write a book because the book is so much more permanent. Right. And so I always encourage people. So, so I, I blog, uh, speak, uh, put your message in social media, do all these different things as you are writing your book. So you're writing your book. And then you basically have a couple different uh, paths to go. You have the traditional method, which is you can sign your life away and um, lose your intellectual property rights and receive pennies for copy and live in poverty forever. Um, or you can find a hybrid model like, uh, like us and get the best of both worlds. Or you can go out on your own and do it all and, and hire people and market and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to tell you a secret. People are worried about the marketing and all that. If you sign a traditional book contract because you want their marketing power, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You're going to find out that you're going to like wind up in some catalog somewhere. And if the book doesn't resonate in the first couple of weeks that it comes out, you will be forever forgotten and put on some list somewhere and put in the bins of the, of the discard pile. And so traditional publishers are not good at non-traditional marketing and marketing the way uh, social media and all that. And so uh, it, you're, you're going to be spending, a, authors will tell you this, successful authors will tell you this, you're going to spend a lot of time marketing your own book anyway. So in my mind, you might as well get compensated for it. What is one thing that would surprise people about being a book author? You get undue credit for expertise. 
and so and, and sometimes some in some cases maybe some credit. But if you the the impact that you have when you tell someone that you have a book, it changes the whole dynamic. It's very interesting. It changes your speaking contracts, it changes your fees, it changes how you are now the person, like when people say, Who are we gonna have speak on this? Well, you're the person that wrote the book on it. <laughs> <laughs> right you're the person that wrote the book on it so you're the natural choice and so uh even though someone might have all the you know incredible years of experience and be you know just absolutely and completely brilliant you're the one with the book <laughs> and when you respond to someone i've noticed that when you respond is like someone tweets about teach like a pirate um or something like that and um now i'm relentless about this if someone talks about my book in social space i'm there like someone put a bat light into the sky right like it's almost creepy how fast i show up like you're thinking this guy must have been looking over my shoulder when i was sending that social media message because within 30 seconds he popped in and said thank you for reading my book or whatever like that and when you do that as the author of a book i mean i'm just dave I'm just, I mean, Julie, you know me. I'm just like this guy that lives in San Diego and like walks his dog and stuff like that. But like for someone else, you're the author of the book that they're reading and you respond to them in social media. That's a huge moment. That's a big moment right there. And I can that's tell you, like yeah. the greatest thing about being on Twitter is after I finish a book and I'm a big historical fiction reader, but after I finish a book, I usually comment or reach out to the author on Twitter and they always respond. Always. And I think that's so neat because it makes the whole experience accessible. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the, sometimes we have this, we put authors on pedestals as like kind of this like celebrity status kind of thing. And as you know, Julie, because like most of us are just pretty normal people. Or a little spastic, but normal on, on the yeah. whole. <laughs> yeah. Normal with a cackle. So we really want to thank you, Dave, for your enthusiasm and your peek behind the curtain of what it's like to be an author and a book publisher. Any final words you want to share with our reader, our listeners? Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And like I said, books are the best uh, deal in the world. Make sure you go out there and read. And, read. and if you are someone that does feel like you have a message, uh, I love what Seth Godin said. He said, reject the tyranny of picked. Pick yourself. And so, like, you no longer have to be chosen to be an author. You no longer have to have someone. You don't have to raise your hand. If you have a message you want to share with the world, go and do that. I'm Megan Lynch with media literacy expert Julie Smith. What the Media is produced by Odyssey St. Louis from the studios of KMOX Radio. Our executive producer is Beth Coglin. We invite you to visit KMOX.com for more on our media literacy project. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 